This is your main man Tyler here, host of the Around the Bases podcast, and we are back for year two, or I guess it should be really year one and a half, really, more like it, since, you know, year one got cut in half, but what are you going to do? You know, lots happened in the world and everything. With everything going on, um, I felt it was right that to shut the podcast down, you know, give it time to breathe, let everything, you know, pass, and, you know, here we are, college softball returns tomorrow, so was really excited to, you know, get back into the game, um, put my thoughts down, record them, so I could give you all what, you know, what you've been listening to last year. Um, sorry in advance if you hear some extra noise in the background. Got the Celtics Jazz game on right now, so just ignore any sounds from that in the background. But let's get started, shall we? Um, gonna be dealing with a lot of topics here, ranging all the way back from the start of the pandemic lockdown and shutdown and everything um so stick with me here on all these topics um it's gonna be a long (laughs) probably gonna be a long night recording um that being said i will be recording late tuesday night into early wednesday mornings and i will be dropping the podcast um every wednesday morning until conference tournament season and then we'll adapt the schedule towards that later on in the year but we'll deal with that once we get to may and conference tournament season and everything about that (laughs) anyway let's move on to some topics of mine that i wanted to discuss so minnesota's head coach jamie traxel uh she left minnesota to take over the old miss job um so, big, big ten powerhouse um, programs coach left to go to take an SEC job, um, and you know it's good that Ole Miss was able to go out and get a coach who has built a solid program at Minnesota. Um, I haven't seen anything. I don't believe, and we'll talk more about it a little bit later. But. Um, I don't, I don't, I haven't seen any big name transfers, um, pitching wise for Ole Miss for Jamie Traxel, um, to replace Molly Jacobson, since, well, again, we'll talk about this later, but she transferred to Texas, um, so we'll get into that, um, I guess I haven't noticed any big name transfer going to Ole Miss for pitching, um, I was curious to see if they were going to find someone that could replace or she could recruit an arm like Amber Pfizer's over to Ole Miss. Um, so I don't know if I it just haven't noticed that they got a pitcher that could make a difference or what, but um, she certainly didn't recruit a pitcher of Amber Pfizer's quality to Ole Miss from what I've seen. But that will 
play out as the season goes along. Um, the question is, where did that leave Minnesota? And the answer is, we didn't know at the time. Ultimately, Minnesota ended up hiring longtime assistant coach Piper Ritter as Traxel's replacement. Um, Piper has mentored uh, the likes of Sarah Gronewagen uh, back in the earlier times of Minnesota softball um, and Amber Pfizer, who is currently going to finish her final season with Minnesota this season. Um, so we'll have to see how this turns out moving forward. I'll give my um, not necessarily full-blown Big Ten prediction later, but um, we'll talk more about the Big Ten down the road a little bit. Um, so Ole Miss, they went out, got hired their um, top name, top tier name for their coaching vacancy that they had. So good on them. I'll look forward to seeing how Ole Miss can do in the SEC that is always stacked, always seems to get their teams into the postseason, which I personally disagree with. I've been very adamant about that, but it is what it is. So I'll leave that subject alone because I could go on a rant for that forever. Um, Minnesota, we'll have to see how that plays out. Um, I think Minnesota has a they're very deep and very talented team. Um, it's just going to be, and I think promoting from within their program already is certainly going to help with their familiarity. Um, Piper's just going to have to learn how to manage the game as a head coach now and make decisions, you know, batting and pitching-wise now. So a little bit more responsibility and everything that goes along with that. We'll see how she handles it this season. Again, we'll talk about the Big Ten later, but the way their season is set up is going to be different this season because of the pandemic. But like I said, we'll get to that later. Um, Texas Tech's head coach, Adrian Gregory, stepped down. Um, this was back in late September, I believe. Um, Apparently, after a review of their program, the Adrian and Texas Tech agreed to mutually part ways. They thought it was in the best interest of the program if they both went their separate ways. Not really seeing much more into the reason why they decided to part ways, but regardless, that still affects the team one way or the other. Um... <clears throat> So this could have a negative impact on the team this season. Um, but we'll just have to wait and see how it plays out for Texas Tech. Um, Texas Tech, they're still in the Big 12. They're still behind the likes of Texas and Oklahoma and Baylor. But, you know, Texas Tech was still a good team. It's not like they're bottom-tier Big 12 team, no. The Big 12 solid in softball. But... Texas Tech, you know, they're not at the upper echelon of the Big 12 right now. Um, so this head coaching change, I don't know where that's going to, if that's going to shift them. I don't think it'll shift them up the standings in the Big 12, but if anything, it would shift them down. But again, we'll just have to wait and see how everything plays out this season for them. Um... 
so that's a little bit about those storylines. Um, Wright State of the Horizon League became the first Division One softball program to be cut due to the pandemic. Um, and I said back when I first wrote that this, wrote this that I'm sure that that wasn't going to be the only softball program cut at the time. Um, ultimately, LaSalle of the Atlantic 10 Conference announced they were going to cut their softball program as well. Um, so, at least as far as I know, I've counted two um, Division One programs that cut their programs due to the pandemic and needing to basically cut funding or, or allocate funds other ways. Um, and that's a big decision, but ultimately it's what the schools decided was best for them um, moving forward. It'll be sad to see a couple, the, those couple programs cut. Um, hopefully they can, once we get past the pandemic, they can get themselves a stronghold again, start building financially, and hopefully bring back softball. Um, we just don't know what that will look like in the future. We'll just have to wait and see on that one. Um, but, you know, those were the two that I've, the only two, at least, that I've seen offhand that have cut their programs entirely. Um, and a little side note to that, um, Cal State Bakersfield opted out of the 2021 season from the uh, Western Athletic Conference. They opted out of their season. Um, I know they won't be the only programs to do it, or the only program to cut, uh, just say we're not going to play this year. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of other teams that are going to say that as well. <clears throat> so we're just going to have to see. We're just going to have to make the best of the season is basically the way I'm looking at it right now. You know, with the pandemic, you just have to make it the best that it can be and hopefully you know put on the best product that you can for the fans and for your teammates and for anyone watching the game of softball um and we'll discuss that we'll discuss all softball mostly here um coming up um Moving on to another COVID-19 uh, issue, well, not issue, but, you know, topic. Miranda Elish, Texas's best player, the heart and soul of that team, um, last year was the biggest player to opt out of the season due to COVID concerns. And she did state that it was in her best interest and her family's best interest in order or to make the hard decision to opt out of the season. And that's totally understandable. She made the best decision that she had or that she needed to make, and I totally get that, and I support that. It's just going to be sad for us college softball fans without one of the best players in the country watching her play week in and week out. Um... But the other question becomes, how was this going to affect Texas? To put it simply, 
it's a massive loss for the Texas program, and there's no other way to sugarcoat that. Um, they still have the pieces to compete for a national title, which we'll go over that as well later. But I believe without Elish that Texas will hurt from this when it comes tournament time, specifically Women's College World Series time. Now, they did get, like I mentioned earlier, they did get the transfer from Ole Miss in Molly Jacobson, who is a decent pitcher in her own right, but she's just not the two-way player that Miranda Ellish is and can't bring everything that Ellish brings to the table. And, you know, we'll just have to see how Texas plays. They have a massive opening weekend. They'll be hosting some teams. And we'll get to see right out of the gate just how good Texas will be this year. But again, I'll go over that later on in the episode. Um, another effect of the pandemic, I know I'm bringing on a lot of pandemic topics here, but it's something that needs to be addressed in some fashion is the Mid-American Conference decided to cut their conference tournament for softball for at least the next four years. How is this going to affect the teams in the regular season moving forward for at least the next four years? I would assume the regular season is going to become a lot more hotly contested in conference since the regular season champ is going to be the one that gets the automatic qualifying position in the tournament. Also, I think this is going to make it slightly harder to get more than one team into the tournament. I don't know that for a fact. That I guess that depends on how well the MAC teams play. But I think the, the MAC is going to have a very interesting time without a conference tournament getting more than one team I think the max limit is one team in the tournament not that a conference tournament would necessarily have changed that but I think without a conference tournament there's no way for them to prove or any team to prove extra that they belong in the tournament or any or even bid stealers for that matter um Someone who may not have been projected to win the conference wins it and then steals a bid. You know, that is what it is. But the Max cutting their conference tournament for at least the next four years. So I think that's going to make, especially maybe not this season, since I'm not sure how many of their teams are actually playing this season. But certainly next season once i believe everything gets more under control and we can start doing more things normally i think it's going to start affecting them a lot more starting next season than it will this season but again we're going to have to just let it play out and see how it all develops moving forward um the big 10 they're going to play a conference-only schedule this year. No non-conference. So they're going to have a couple weekends down in Florida where they're going to play a lot of games. <clears throat> and this is a pretty good idea for them, at least in terms of at least, you know, most Big Ten schools are in not-so-great-weather climates 
in the early stages of the season. So at least they can go down to Florida, get a couple weekends with a ton of conference games in, and then move forward into a more normal-ish conference schedule. <clears throat> the Big Ten is also not doing a conference tournament this year. Um, <clears throat> I don't know if that's going to be a good thing or not. We're just going to have to see how that plays out. <clears throat> We will find out how good the Big Ten really is since they're going to be playing each other all season. We're going to find out who's legit, who's not. Um, <clears throat> this also opens up the possibility for the Big Ten to cannibalize each other once we get to the tournament. Since they're going to be playing each other, there's a decent shot that with so many games against one team that there's going to start cannibalizing each other and wins are going to start looking not necessarily as impressive or whatever it may be. And I think this is going to limit the Big Ten's ability to put more teams in the tournament. And we're going to have to see how that looks because the tournament itself might not ultimately might not end up being the full 64 teams um, it might change depending on how the pandemic looks in mid-May and into June um, so basically we're just going to have to wait and see how everything comes together um, but I think the Big Ten is it's going to be harder for them without a conference tournament for one and without non-conference and they're going to be cannibalizing each other during their season. So I don't. I think the Big Ten has a limit on who's going to get in and how many can get in. What that limit is, I think, is three or four at most. Um, and which teams those are, I have two certainly in mind, but I have a few more that I'll keep my eye on. But right off the bat, I just think the Big Ten's hurting a little bit this extra than other conferences this year but we'll see how they play it out maybe it'll work out for the better for them i don't know personally again we're just gonna have to let it play out see how it goes <clears throat> so a little college and team usa news rachel garcia bubba nichols deja mulipola the three uh, Team USA members that were supposed to be part of the Olympics last summer, but it got postponed to this year, are going to play. They're going to return to their colleges this year and still play for Team USA in the Olympics in the summer. So there's going to be a heavy workload on Rachel Garcia, Bubba Nichols, and Deja Mulipola. Um, Rachel and Bubba playing for UCLA and Deja for Arizona. Um <clears throat> How is it going to affect their them playing for both of those teams? Is it going to cause them to overexert themselves, causing their performances to suffer or for one or both? I honestly think it very well could. Rachel Garcia is still the best player in the country right now, 100%. Um, but I think her game is going to suffer a little bit playing for both UCLA and U Team USA. 
I just, I, it seems hard pressed for her to be super successful at both. Especially when given when the you have Kat Osterman and Monica Abbott on the Team USA roster who can who are bona fide starting pitchers and be Team USA starting pitching. Um, now Rachel Garcia can still help in the batting aspect, but um, it's just going to be tough for those three to be able to play both teams for both teams this year. In my opinion, um, I, w I hope they play well. I want to see them play well, specifically for Team USA, especially once the Olympics roll around. Um, speaking of Team USA, I believe they are playing a three-game set with Mexico down in Dallas, Texas this weekend. Not 100% sure on that, but if they are do it playing that series this weekend... I will have that in my pot in the podcast next week, so just keep an out uh, ear and eye out for that uh, coming forward either this weekend into next week or whatever it looks like moving forward. Um, Missouri's postseason band has been served, and they will be allowed to play in all 2021 postseason tournaments. Huge win for Missouri softball, considering that the season was paused halfway through or canceled halfway through the season. And given how they were playing before the season shut down, they can go out and compete on the highest level again, which is huge because that's all you want for your play, or that's all the players want. They want to compete at the highest level, want to achieve something at the highest possible level. Um, now, this does take away the mentality that they are free to play as they want and just for the love of the game, but that's okay. The players worked hard to prove that they can be a really good team, and I fully expect them to be in the upper half of the SEC this year. Missouri has a really good team. I know, firsthand, I watched them play in the St. Pete Clearwater Elite Invitational last year, um, as well as some other games, but Missouri's got a really good team, and they should be a force to reckon with in the country and in the SEC as well. <clears throat> but again, we'll just have to wait and see how it all plays out, and I'll give my analysis as we go out throughout the season, as you remember from last year. The two biggest names in professional softball in America, who are both independent now, USSA Pride and formerly known Scrapyard Fast Pitch, and we'll get to that in a second, played games over the summer this last year. Um, the subplot here being that Scrapyard's GM put an insensitive tweet showing their players standing for the anthem and, quote, respecting the flag, end quote, without them knowing. First and foremost, the players immediately said they would not represent the team after seeing that tweet. They decided to leave that team 
make their own team and decided to name it This Is Us Softball. They have their own website and everything. Um, you know, you should never tweet, as, especially as someone in upper-level management of an uh, organization, should never tweet something about their employees or... I don't want to say lesser people, but, you know, not upper-level management people don't know that it's going to happen, and they should be in the know about something like that, because that misinterprets the message between the team and the person tweeting or the person behind the tweet, and that disconnect is not there. Or is not good for the game of, especially for the game of professional softball, which is still growing in America. And we will talk a little bit more about some ways that it has been growing. Um, but I'm not going to get into the politics behind the tweet. That's not my job. My job is to focus on the sports aspect for the most part and just let you know that this happened. Um, but it's something you need to be aware of and something you should know about moving forward. Um, the series was t ultimately ended up being, uh, finished at tied at three apiece and it ended the season early because of COVID-19. Um, Although you SSA Pride did say they were open to other playing opportunities, ultimately those didn't come together. Um, but I look forward to seeing what the um, those two teams put together if they can do something. Probably not this summer because of the Olympics. Um, but if they can put something together moving forward, since they're both independent, they can basically do whatever they want in professional softball to help grow the game and play whoever they want. You know, we'll just have to see how they play it moving forward. Um, I look forward to seeing what they do. Um, but... It was fun to be able to watch those games. Unfortunately, they only played six, but hopefully once things start getting more normal, we can get them back playing on the field with fans and everything behind them, supporting them and everything. Um, that's the hope. We'll have to just wait and see how it goes. <clears throat> Let's, uh, while we're on the topic of growing the game, let's not forget about the Florida Gulf Coast League, which was a league um, of college collegiate players coming together and playing a summer league in Florida, obviously. Um, that seemed to be a massive success down there, so, and they're expanding into season two for this summer, so that's fantastic to see. Um, and we'll look forward to seeing how that plays out for year two. Um, 
the new professional league, um, Athletes Unlimited. We'll talk about that in just a second. But the game of softball is growing, and I would fully expect to con- this to continue moving forward. It's absolutely massive moving forward. The game of softball is just growing exponentially, I would say. And the fact that it was canceled last year, and we didn't really get much moving forward, that also made a huge impact for Athletes Unlimited. So, you know, let's talk about Athletes Unlimited for a few minutes. Absolutely love the format and think this is a very innovative and new way to play professional softball. It was fun, competitive. The more individually focused style of the game allows for a more competitive style of play which was ultimately fantastic to watch on ESPN or CBS Sports or whatever channels that they happen to be on TV, which was another huge part in the way that they were trying to grow the game of softball by putting it on TV. Huge for the game. 100% can't deny it. So the point scoring system, it was a lot. So innings are broken down into wins. You win an inning, you get 10 points. And if you didn't win, or if you split the inning, or tied the inning, the uh, points accumulated until someone won an inning. And if you won the game, you got 50 extra points. The top three MVPs voted on by the players and members of the Unlimited Club, which were people that, you know, wanted to be a part of the voting for MVPs, voted for three MVPs. The top three got 20, 40, and 60 points added to their daily score, or their game scores. Also, single, 10 points, double, 20, triple, 30, home run, 40. Stolen base was 10 points. Caught stealing, you lose 10 points. A walk is 10 points. Um, For pitchers... Every out recorded is 4 plus 4. Every earned run given up is minus 10. So ultimately, I thought this was a very fantastic way to play professional sports. And they've already added volleyball too. And I believe lacrosse is coming. So they're just finding innovative ways to play sports that aren't seen as, you know... American powerhouses like baseball, basketball, football, or hockey. Those are American powerhouses. Those are our four major sports. Um, So this is a way to get soccer, volleyball, and lacrosse up to that level. And I absolutely love the format, like I said. And I can't wait for the second season to come in late August of this year. And I will be covering that when we get to to that point. Assuming this uh, that things are get somewhat normal and we can get to actually play that. Hopefully we get to that, or hopefully they still play season two in August. We'll just have to wait and see. Stay tuned with me. Stay tuned along with me for that. But 
Sam Shaw, Samantha Shaw was the early star, former Oklahoma State product. Uh, well, Texas A&M and Oklahoma State. Um, but the league seemed to be allowing for lesser-known pros and lesser-known collegiate athletes to be able to have an impact on their team and on the game. Um, uh, also, the you know, the top four leaders and points at the end of a weekend were the captains for the next week and got to pick their teams the way they wanted to. So that uh, it's fantastic that you get to play with different people and if you are rewarded that well you get to pick who you want to play and who you want on your team to be able to keep winning and keep succeeding fantastic format in my opinion um cat osterman thrived under this point system for pitchers she was dominating everyone and she ultimately took the individual champion crown for 2020. So, um, so congrats to Kat Osterman. Absolutely fantastic work in the season last year. Um, looking forward to seeing if she can do it again after the Olympics this year in August. Hopefully she can. We'll see. But I hope that she comes back and she has another big season. Because she's not retiring until at least after the Olympics, for one. So, we'll see how that all plays out. But And as I mentioned, everyone has an impact in order to get points personally and for their team, which is fantastic in my opinion. It brings more effort from everyone on the team, not just you're riding the bench the entire game, you're not having an impact or anything. Um... So I thought that was wonderful that everyone can make an impact. But enough of that. Let's talk transfers from this past year. I don't have stats for them this... I, I didn't look up stats for them this year because I, I just got a little lazy and decided that stats were going to be a part of the season moving forward, not for the first episode of the season. So... Forgive me if I don't have stats for this week, but I will have stats starting next Wednesday, so bear with me on this one. Um, <clears throat> I mentioned Molly Jacobson, the pitcher, transferred from Ole Miss to Texas. She should have a big, a big super big impact now that Miranda Ellis opted out of the season. Outfielder Jenna Holcomb transferred from Tennessee to San Diego State. Um, outfielder Cambry Arnold transferred from James Madison to Ohio State. Infielder Jade Gortrez transferred from Arizona State to Louisiana. Catcher Kirsten Roadcrap uh, transferred out of James Madison. I haven't seen where she's transferred or if she has gotten a transfer. Um, so we'll just leave it as she hasn't transferred anywhere. Infielder Jordan Doggett transferred from Georgia to Oklahoma State. That gives Oklahoma State another powerhouse in the uh, another powerhouse player. I never saw where infielder Mia Camus Camuso sorry if I pronounced that name wrong. 
Um, never saw where she transferred to from Louisiana, so maybe I'll see her name come up this season. I don't know. We'll just have to stay tuned and look out for her name. Um, pitcher Gigi Wall from Texas Tech transferred to North Texas. It's a pretty big, kind of big loss for Texas Tech, um, but a great pickup for North Texas. Pitcher Kelsey Broadus transfers from Boise State to Texas A&M, and she's the former Mountain West Conference Pitcher of the Year, so that's a great addition on Texas A&M's part. She can combine with Mackenzie Herzog and hopefully, you know, anchor a Texas A&M team that was having trouble with some teams last year. Um, pitcher utility Carly Heath transferred from South Carolina to Louisiana. So Louisiana picks up another great player. Stop me if you've heard that before. Um, pitcher utility Julia Smith-Harrington transferred from Towson. Never saw where she ended up, but personally, from my time at James Madison, um, I, I thought she was a good pitcher, and honestly, she could have played for a, a much better program than Towson. No disrespect to Towson or anything, but I just thought her pitching could have flourished in a better system. <clears throat> so I'll look and see if she her name pops up anywhere this year. Um, Danielle Romanello transfers from Florida to San Diego State. She was only used as a pinch hitter at Florida. She never got her chance to shine. Um, I liked what her numbers showed in her pinch hitting role. So I think San Diego State gets a um, an unseen gem in that one. Infielder Jana Johns transfers from South Carolina to Oklahoma. Utility Maddie Banks transfers from Virginia Tech to Ole Miss. Catcher first baseman Megan Dre transfers from UNC to Minnesota. Infielder Skyler Wallace makes the interesting transfer from Alabama to Florida. <clears throat> That's a crazy uh, transfer, but whatever. Infielder Hannah File transfers out of JMU because she graduated. I know firsthand. I talked to her. Um, so she's graduated from JMU. She's looking for a place to play her grad ball at or somewhere, so... I'll look forward to wherever she ends up. Infielder Justice Mills transfers from Georgia to Louisiana. And outfielder Sierra Bryan transfers from Georgia to Louisiana. So Louisiana picked up, uh, what was it, four? Yeah, Louisiana picked up four great players that are going to be instant impacts on their team. Louisiana isn't a team built like a... Um, like a mid-major. They're built like a SEC or Big 12 powerhouse. So we'll have to see how that all plays out. Alright, let's move on to conference preseason favorites. <clears throat> 
the American Conference chose Central Florida as their preseason champion. The Big South chose Gardner-Webb. The Big 12 naturally picked Oklahoma. The Atlantic Sun picked Liberty to win the conference. ACC picked Florida State. Not necessarily surprising, but Virginia Tech. AC, the ACC should watch out for Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech could beat Florida State for the title in the conference. And if that does happen, you heard it here first. Uh, SEC, Alabama, naturally. Big Sky, Weber State. They have a pretty good program out there in a mid-major. The Western Athletic Conference picked Seattle. They were very up and they were a very good mid-major that I kept up with last year. Um, Mountain West Conference picked Fresno State, another mid-major that could make some serious noise if they wanted to. The CAA is split into divisions this year, so they have Delaware and James Madison as the preseason favorites. Conference USA is split into East-West Division, Western Kentucky and North Texas being the preseason favorites. The Mid-Eastern Athletic Conference is split to the North and South, with Howard and Florida A&M projected to be the preseason favorites. The Ohio Valley Conference has Southeast Missouri State as their preseason favorite. Patriot League has Boston University. The Southern Conference has UNCG. The Big West has Cal State Fullerton. Southland has Stephen F. Austin. Atlantic 10 has George Washington. Sunbelt has Louisiana, which is not a surprise in any way, shape, or form. Big East has UConn. Personally, I got to see UConn play. Um... Actually, that's not right. No. I was wrong. Villanova is tapped to... Was tabbed as the Big East preseason favorite. That is my fault. Villanova was projected to win the Big East. My fault on that. The Horizon League picked UIC. The Summit League picked North Dakota State. Now, the rest of these conferences haven't picked their preseason champion as I record this, so I basically just made a guesstimate of what who they would pick. The In the America East, I think it's Stony Brook that will be champion of the conference. Ivy League would be Harvard for me. The Southwestern Athletic Conference is split into divisions, and I think... Alabama A&M and Texas Southern will be division champions. Missouri Valley has to be Drake. There's no one really to challenge Drake in the Missouri Valley. Northeast Conference, I would say LIU. The Mid-American Athletic Conference, I would say Monmouth. In the Big Ten, I've been going back and forth between Michigan and Minnesota as my favorite to win the conference. Ultimately, I'm going to take Minnesota <clears throat> simply because I believe Amber Pfizer and the rest of their lineup can take down Michigan for a Big Ten title. 
So I'm going to take Minnesota to win the Big Ten. The MAC, I would say Ball State. Um, the Pac-12, UCLA, without a doubt, even though the UCLA is... I mean, dude, geez. Even though the Pac-12 is absolutely insanely stacked this year. And lastly, the West Coast Conference, I would say BYU. But watch out for Loyola Marymount, because Loyola Marymount made noise last year. But we didn't get to see the full extent of what they could do. Loyola Marymount caused some chaos last year. And I fully expect them to push BYU for that West Coast Conference title this year. And not having a, a conference tournament might be a good... They're going to have to make it count in the regular season. So, we'll have to see all, all these conferences play out. Um, I have this printed out so I can look at it. And... Um, I'll update you as these conferences that haven't put in their preseason favorite as we go through the weeks. Um, but we'll have we'll look at this at the end of the year and see how this or what who got what right and who got what wrong and everything. We'll look at that at the end of the season. <clears throat> or we'll look at that right before the NCAA tournament. <sighs> Speaking of the NCAA tournament, are they going to do regionals and super regionals at campus sites? That is the big question for me. We've already seen the NCAA men's basketball and women's basketball tournaments going to be in one single area with the men's basketball being in Indianapolis and the women's basketball being in San Antonio, I believe. So is softball going to do the same thing and make all the entire tournament in Oklahoma City? That remains to be seen. I think they're going to try to keep it on campus sites as long as they can, but if they need to change it, they'll allow for time to be able to change it. Um... So we're just going to have to wait and see how that looks moving forward. I hope we can have a normal, a, a quote-unquote normal NCAA tournament where regionals and super regionals are at campus sites. But that all depends on how the pandemic changes everything. And you never know. There's going to be, a, we all know there's going to be a ton of games that are probably going to get canceled or postponed. And, you know, schedules are just going to be in flux. We're just going to have to roll with it this year. More than basically any other year. <clears throat> so we're just, like I said, we're going to just roll with the punches this year. Schedules are going to have to be flexible. And, the, and I don't envy the committee's job to determine who makes the postseason this year. I really don't. Because it's going to be an incredibly insane challenge to decide who makes it to the tournament and who doesn't. That just leaves it up for to us to debate it once we get around to that time. So, we'll see how it all unfolds. Um, but let's talk about favorites to win the title in OKC in June. 
My favorite to win the title in June is overwhelmingly UCLA. Without a doubt, adding back Rachel Garcia and Bubba Nichols to an absolutely stacked roster makes them the heavy favorite to go back-to-back since we didn't have a tournament last year. And, you know, just to back me up on that, UCLA is basically the consensus number one preseason team. Across every poll that's been released so far, basically only one single first-place vote hasn't gone towards UCLA, and it went towards Washington with Gabby Plain and Sis Bates and all of them. So basically, it seems like UCLA is the overwhelming favorite to win the title this year. And I would tend to agree with that. I believe UCLA is the best team and will play the best under the circumstances in order to win a championship in June. And we'll just have to wait and see. I'll come back to it after the Women's College World Series. And we can have a good laugh about it if I'm completely wrong. But... For me, right as of right now, UCLA is going to win the Women's College World Series in June. On June, uh, it might be 8th or 9th, depending on if they go three games in the championship series or not. But UCLA is my title favorite 100%. Other teams to watch out for, though, that will contend, Alabama, Oklahoma, Washington, Texas, even despite the um, even despite the fact that Miranda Ellis won't play for them, I think Texas is still going to contend and LSU. Louisiana, I don't have as a legitimate national title contender. I ju- I just can't see it right now. I'm going to have to wait until I see some of their non-conference games and what they do in those games before I can make that determination to put them in national title contender. So we'll have to wait and see how that goes. (sighs) But let's look at notable games for the opening week. Starting tomorrow, Thursday. Arizona at Texas. What? A smackdown to open the season. Arizona at Texas is primetime TV. Unfortunately, it's going to be on the Longhorn Network. Thankfully, I get that, so I'll be able to watch it. McNeese State at LSU. I was on the fence about putting this as a notable game, but I think McNeese State could actually give LSU a little fit. Um... I don't think McNeese State has the offense to win the game, but I do believe that they can hang around with LSU and watch. I'll probably be wrong, but you know what? It's a game I'm looking forward to. BYU plays a doubleheader at Arizona State Thursday night. That should be a really fun matchup. We get to see the Mountain West Conference favorite, in my opinion, against a Pac-12 team that should have plenty of talent on it. That's natural. Arkansas and Oklahoma State, the game was originally set for Sunday, now it's tomorrow. Another 
top 25 matchup for Thursday night. So that's another great matchup I have my eye on. Friday, Fresno State-UCLA. I want to see if Fresno State can prove they're a legit mid-major. Duke at LSU. Baylor at Louisiana. Keystone game of, game of this opening week for sure. UNC at South, or North Carolina at South Carolina. Oklahoma State, Louisiana Tech. Another blockbuster matchup, Alabama at Texas. Um, also Alabama and Colorado State. Uh, Central Arkansas at LSU, because I know Central Arkansas has a pretty decent mid-major school. Or program for softball. Speaking of, Central Arkansas against Duke on Friday as well. Seattle, I mentioned them being a very interesting upstart last season. They're going to play at Arizona State and against Utah. Those are two games I'm very excited to look forward to. <coughs> um, Utah-BYU, another game I'm very excited about. Oregon-Weber State. I want to see if Weber State can hang around with Oregon. Oregon State at Cal State Fullerton. Another one. Basically, a lot of these are Pac-12 teams, but that's just who's playing. So, don't blame me. Saturday, Fresno State against Loyola Marymount twice. Two very good mid-majors playing against each other. I look forward to that. Another Baylor at Louisiana matchup. Louisville and North Carolina both at South Carolina. Virginia at Georgia. Missouri at Florida State is one I am looking forward to very much. Again, Oklahoma State, Louisiana Tech, Alabama, Texas. Alabama, Arizona, another blockbuster matchup. Colorado State, Texas, Duke, McNeese State, Duke, Central Arkansas, Utah, and Arizona State, again, uh, la, 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 la. Seattle, Utah, Oregon, Weber State again, and Oregon State, Cal State, Fullerton again on Saturday. On Sunday, Louisville and South Carolina, Virginia, Georgia again, Alabama, Colorado State again. Central Arkansas LSU, Seattle versus Utah, Oregon State at Loyola Marymount, and Yukon and Tennessee. Those are the games I'm looking forward to. On Tuesday, they they, they edged this game in there and I can't, or these double this double header in and I can't believe they did it without me noticing. But Cal State Fullerton at Arizona State will play a doubleheader on Tuesday. And that's gonna that should be a very interesting matchup to watch. So stay tuned for that next week. We'll look at all those. Plus, Texas Tech will play a three-game set at Texas State. So we get to see how good Texas Tech is out of the gate against a very good mid-major in Texas State. You know, Cat Osterman was a a coach at Texas State it was a pitching coach 
Longwood plays a three-game set at NC State. The only reason this interests me is because I want to see how Longwood does with a new coach against a really good team who I got to see personally last year before the pandemic screwed everything up. Um, okay, maybe I shouldn't say very good because JMU did beat the crap out of them, but... Um, it is an ACC school nonetheless, and I want to see how Longwood handles that because they have a rich tradition of finding decent players and having a good team there in the Big South. So I want to see what they can do under a new coach. Um, Florida plays the three-game set at South Florida. I want to see if South Florida is good enough to at least take one of those games and not get swept. Um... So you'll have to stay with me on that one. And the last series or games I'm watching, Central Florida is playing a four-game set at Florida Gulf Coast. Um, this is interesting because Florida Gulf Coast is a dynamic mid-major, and Central Florida proved last season before everything stopped. They're a very good team. And... I just think that Central Florida, if they can sweep Florida Gulf Coast in four games, really puts their stamp on this season as they are ready to take their game to the next level, hopefully. Um, but, you know, we'll have all these games. We'll have stats next week. We'll have a lot of different interesting things to say next week. Um, this was just basically to catch all of you up on what um, has been happening since the pandemic started and catch you up and get you at least up to speed, at least to where I'm at with the season, because I'm ready for this to start. I can't wait for tomorrow to get underway. Um, <clears throat> so stick with me this year. Ride, ride it out with me. Watch some soft, watch some softball. Um, stick with me. Give me your feedback. Let me know your thoughts. Let me know where I'm, where you think I'm wrong. Let me know where you think I'm right and everything about that. Um, but I'm looking forward to having a great season, and I'm looking forward to doing this podcast for an entire year this time. Um, covering not only college softball but hopefully athletes unlimited in august and the olympics in the summer i'm hoping to be able to continue to do that all the way up until that and hopefully further but we'll just have to wait and see how everything plays out we're gonna go to it from a week-to-week basis so just stick with me everyone um Thank you for listening, and, you know, we'll check back in next week with you and give you an updated look at how everything's looking next week. Thank you. Have a great day, and see you next week on the Around the Basis podcast. Good night.